Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on the stack, we talk about a bunch of comics that have come out this week. And oh boy, did a bunch of comics come out this week. Oh, and we're going to talk about them all. It's like Pokemon, but for comics and talking instead of collecting. And it's us instead of a kid named Ash. Yes, but we what? do still keep our comics inside of a ball, starting with Dark Knight's Death Metal, The Secret Origin, number one from DC Comics, written by Scott Snyder and Jeff Johns, art by Jerry Ordway, Francis Manipal, Brian Benjamin and Richard Friend, Paul Pelletier and Norm Rapmund. Uh, this is not what I was expecting at all. Agrees completely. Uh, but what it turns out to be is a deep dive into Superboy Prime and in a weird way, the last ever Superboy Prime story, it also, I don't know if it spoils or shows us or jumps ahead of a huge moment in Dark Knight's Death Metal, but this is not just a throwaway one-shot. This is an important part of the overall story. Um, I was very hesitant going into this, but completely won over by the end, both by the emotion and the storytelling and the art throughout. Uh, I was very impressed. Did you guys feel the same? Yeah, I mean, this uh, this was written by Jeff Johns and Scott Snyder, uh, a collab, a classic uh, collab. And um, it really shows. I feel like this, you, you hear both of their voices in a nice synergy in this book. I've never been a huge Superboy Prime guy, but this story I thought was really good. It it takes the character and really humanizes him in a way that I didn't see coming and uh, was a great, just a great, great book, great little standalone story uh, focusing on the character. I love where it ended. Uh, yeah, the title was a little misleading. It is kind of like a... Uh Prime story, uh, which I did not see coming. Uh, yeah, I mean, Superboy Prime still being a dick, but then he kind of uh, gets a little bit less annoying. And, you know, it's amazing art. And then, you know, of course, dogs are awesome. And, you know, dogs can make any asshole a better person. Wow. 100%. Couldn't agree more with that. Uh, like you said, you got Jeff Johns, who invented Superboy Prime, coming in. Scott Snyder, who's been the maestro of Dark Knight's death metal. Uh, and they're working together. The thing, this is a huge spoiler, but the thing that surprised me that I could not believe happened in this book is Superboy Prime beats the Batman who laughs and essentially yeah. wins in this yeah. issue, which is wild. It was wild. But is that it? I mean, is it going to happen in another book? Like, it just seemed crazy that this was it. I it, don't know. It f did feel weird that it would come down to this. There has to be a ton more story to be told in the main book. But I do think, right. like the, uh, the, the Space Wolverine-focused book, um, that uh, who colloquially Fuck known, you. He's you known don't as know Lo what He's known as Thank Lobo. You. Tell uh, people what you're talking about because that doesn't make sense. No, I think that's that makes that's a perfect description. 
Like, nope. um, I was like, if I were to describe you, I would say um, regular Bones Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that makes a lot of sense. I just see the world through Wolverine tinted glasses. Ever said, that's the nicest thing you've ever said. <laughs> regular Bones Wolverine. Uh, yeah. But, um, uh, oh, uh, Lo- the Lobo book, um, uh, I forget what it, what it was called, but it really told the Lobo side of the story, but it all was a part of the main story. We just got to see this little fragment fully told in the side book. So I think I think this is real. This is part of it. Yeah. I said frag. I mean, I'll tell you what, uh, this is an event that really could have used a checklist in the back of every book, which seems like such a dumb thing. But we're about to talk about King and Black in a second, and a lot of those tie-ins kind of matter, but maybe not as much as the main King and Black book matters. But it's very handy to look through and go, okay, have I read that? Uh, have I checked that off yet mentally in my mind yet? Does that come after this other thing? There's so many different spinoffs and other things that it would be very easy to skip this issue and discount it as, oh, it's just another tale of the dark multiverse or something like that, which, mind you, those books have been good as well, but... I think there would have been a better way of executing that. Instead, DC seems very allergic to recap pages and ways of letting people know how to follow their events. And I wish they would do that a little better because I think ultimately that would be more rewarding for the constant fans. Mm, the constant I mean, fans. That's the thing. Though. Like this book, us. By not kind of making anything about it, they're really rewarding the people who read every DC book. Mm-hmm. They just need to put a note, be like, hey, this one's important. Yeah. On the front. <laughs> That's Don't a read strategically, the other strategically fraught <laughs> choice, if I may. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to another big event. King in Black, number two from Marvel, written by Donnie Cates and art by Ryan Stegman. This is picking up split seconds after the end of the last issue of Venom, which I know I said mostly King in Black is important, but uh, we got to watch uh, Venom falling down a building for 32 seconds in the last issue of yeah. Venom. Yeah. Uh, he's been tossed off by the King in Black. By well, no- easy with... Don't say he's been tossed off. That's not. What are you talking about? I mean, that's that's what do you exactly think that is. Why what, is what's that like? Is that degrading? You can't, say, you can't say you're tossed somebody off. That's not. It's not good. He what had his, okay. He had his means? he had his salad tossed off yeah. the building. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, you guys. Sorry, go, I'm sorry. Going Null ate way. out his butt. Oh my god. <laughs> is that what you want me to say? <laughs> no, yeah, he got no, brocked. I'm someone, try- some, <laughs> someone brocked his world. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody <laughs> he got so Eddie a lot Brock. of this issue uh, is dealing with the fallout of the last issue where the world has been taken over by Null, oh or at God. least New York City. Uh, some of the Avengers are trying to rally to get Venom. Uh, and unfortunately, spoiler, by the end of the issue, they fail and Eddie Brock dies. Oh, I couldn't believe... Uh, that it, it like I was like oh this will cut and then someone will swoop in and save him he's not gonna hit the ground smash it's about time somebody killed this maniacal Spider-Man villain oh my god so where where do you think this is going from here do you think Eddie Brock is actually dead he's gonna come back to life is his son Dylan gonna be the new Venom uh, what's the goal here granted that we're only a couple of issues through the King in Black event at this point. Uh, I like this event a lot because it's going hard, yet we're still getting the emotional beats. I think Donny Cates is a, is very tactical. Like the issue of Eddie falling did feel like a send off, uh, and then to have him die in this issue 
feels like maybe he is dying, but I'm pretty confident he's going to come back. He'll become a full symbiote or some version of that uh, will will be where he goes. Um, I hope so, because I really got into the father-son relationship here. And it was weird that, like, while he was going through all this, like, they just had his son playing video games in another room. Like, I was just like, I, I feel like someone should have Have you ever got- met a son? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, wow. That's, yeah. you know. Real Said slam. like a jilted uh, father a jilted there. dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jesus well, the, Christ. The other day, um, uh, Alex's son, it was bring your father to school day, and he brought in his Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's like Master Chief is my dad. <laughs> uh, great book. Next up, let's move to the end of an event. Firefly Blue Sun Rising, number one from Boom Studios, written by Greg Pak, art by Dan McDade. Uh, this is, as I just indicated, wrapping up the Blue Sun Rising event, uh, where uh, Mal Reynolds and the crew of Firefly are taking it to Blue Sun, the evil organization at the heart of a lot of things in the Firefly universe. Even if you haven't been reading this event religiously, uh, this is great. This is a so good, good chapter Pac, in the Firefly universe. Love this stuff. Yeah, I mean, this uh, Greg Pak has done a great job of really uh, f- took the the characters from Firefly and Serenity and put them in a very different place at the start of this run, and then has really brought them back. It really feels like a great episode of Firefly, or even the sort of climax of the Serenity movie, um, like. Really great action. It puts the characters in a situation where they know how to succeed by fucking everything up. Introduces these other characters that aren't part of the main crew but still fit really well. I think this has been just such a great run on this book. I've kind of been an outsider for this world, but this book did such a great job of bringing me in, getting to care about these characters. This was an emotional ending. I thought it was really, really well done and so well written. This Greg Pak guy is unbelievable. (laughs) Uh, I just really love that last panel and the let no one take the sky from you. Oh, just beautiful. Great stuff. Definitely pick that up. Uh, moving on to another surprisingly emotional issue, Ice Cream Man, number 22 from Image Comics, oh written by God. W. Maxwell Prince, art by Martine Morazzo. Now, we've talked about every issue of this book. Every goddamn issue! Well, every goddamn issue, because it's fantastic. The art is absolutely gorgeous. It's terrifying in exactly the right way. All these uh, small or big horror tales uh, that uh, parse out may have a loose continuity with them. Uh, But this one is very different. This is a advent calendar focusing on a character who's trying to deal with the fact that she's pregnant. Her parents are uber religious. What should she do about it? And it ends up having kind of a sad but very hopeful ending for Ice Cream yeah. Man. This was a very refreshing change of pace, and I really like this quite a bit. Well, that's the thing. Like, I couldn't enjoy the refreshing because I was so worried about how this was mm-hmm. ending. I was just like, oh, God, what are we doing in this issue? Is the horror going to go too far? Like, holy fucking shit. Uh, but I was really impressed with the ending. I thought it was very touching and a nice turn. Uh, yeah, I mean, this was so um, refreshing um, that you might as well call it Lemon Sorbet Man. Because oh, it, there we go. <laughs> it was such a nice, bright change of pace. Um, I do think 
that uh, it's sort of fitting at the end of a long, difficult year to have even the darkest, one of the darkest comic books on the stands really have a, a, a bright ending and sort of in a, in, but still able to talk about really interesting stuff, bring us to the edge of that horror. Um, it's great. This I book is re- always great. Really like how, like, the house in the last panel, the way the windows are opened, it almost makes the house look like an advent calendar. It was, it's just really, really impressive. If you haven't checked this out, please do. Like, every panel, it's just, they're really playing chess with this. It's just very impressive. Totally agree. Uh, let's move on to one that I was pleasantly surprised by. Labyrinth Masquerade, number one from Arkea, written by Lara Elena Donnelly, <laughs> illustrated by Pius Bach, uh, Samantha Dodge, and French Carlo Magno. Uh, what Pete is alluding to is Labyrinth is one of my favorite movies of all time. You're goddamn right it is. But I've been uh, kind of iffy on uh, the whole idea of continuing Labyrinth at all. What I really liked about this book is I feel like it found a fresh angle on the whole thing, where it told a story that takes place semi in parallel to the movie, has some new things to say with some new characters, has some good things to say about memory, adds some stuff to the continuity uh, and just the whole mythology of it. Um, And the art is really good as well as the coloring. Um, I like this quite a bit. Uh, Again, I know it seems like I should be in the tank for this, but I definitely came into it being wary and was won over by the end. Uh, What was your guys' take? I think that Alex is fucking tanked, is what I think. He's (laughs) in the tank. He's on the tank. This guy is tanked for this book. He's under the tank. Yeah, he's swimming in the tank. Uh, He's Scrooge McDunking ducking the tank. (laughs) Um, I... uh, I remember Labyrinth, not perhaps as much as you. I remember someone peeing into a fountain because we watched that in school. And it was yes. uh, a very salacious moment in my life. Um, but uh, this was this played like a book. If you're not familiar with Labyrinth but want to give it a shot, it's very much like um, an a, a issue of The Dreaming um, in the Sandman mm-hmm. universe or even an issue of Fables. Like it plays by those same rules. It's a great story. And you get to just sort of explore this world following this character. Uh, I thought it was fun. Yeah, I mean, uh, the whole time I was just thinking about how much Zelvin loves this. Um, (laughs) uh, But yeah, it was impressive. It was a new take on something that we've seen a ton. Uh, So it was nice to kind of like... uh, I, I was impressed that it was fresh and the art was different, but it felt like it fit in the world. Uh, Yeah, I... I I I haven't I wasn't really a huge fan of the labyrinth, you know. I mean, I respect the Bowie and stuff like that, but um, this I I was really impressed with this take and with this story. All right, let's move from a book that Pete was sure that I was all over to a book that I was sure Pete was all over. King Size Conan, number one for Marvel, written by Roy Thomas, Kurt Busiek, Class Claremont, Kevin Eastman, there and Stephen S. Tonight. <laughs> Art by Steve McNiven, Pete Woods, Robert Delatore, Kevin Eastman, and Jesus Saez. Uh, this is a tribute to Conan. It is a bunch of short stories about different parts of Conan's life. Um, as usual with a short story collection, I think mileage may vary, but for my money, I thought the last story by Stephen S. Tonight was awesome. I yeah. love that one. I thought that was great. The rest of them were like your standard hack and slash fair. Well, um, but that was the one that I was really into personally. 
you, all right, don't you don't have to shit on the other ones. You dick. the other ones were pieces of shit. No, wow, is what the, I definitely think. And not good art and good writing throughout. Uh, yeah, the Claremont one I enjoyed, but the Eastman one, it was like I got into a cozy sleeping bag uh, from the 90s and just wrapped myself self in nostalgia and was just so happy. It was just It's just great to see his art. I mean, it's a little weird in color, but uh, it's still just uh, it's so grimy and fantastic and in all the right ways. And I think it fits with Conan. It's cool. Did you find any pogs at the bottom of your sleeping bag? <laughs> no. no Get out was, of that sleeping bag, dude. I was never a pogger. Never never into the pogs. But, uh, yeah, I think this was great. Uh, a lot of great um, uh, stories. So, yeah, and the last one was cool. Also, the art styles uh, were very different but really worked. It was impressive. Uh, yeah, I, I like this a lot, too. Um, Conan's one of those characters that has these three, like, iconic eras um, that I think, if you haven't read Conan, uh, Jason Aaron's run on Thor sort of echoed in a really good way, um, where it's like, young Thor, young Conan, uh, middle sort of Thor that's confident and a great warrior and has sort of seen it all, and then King Conan, who is um, sort of a little bit over it. Um, and I liked all these stories. The first one I thought was really cool because it it dovetails uh, so nicely with the original uh, publication of Marvel's Conan the Barbarian, um, which that was a cool little note. And then my favorite version of Conan, the, the more recent books of the last like decade or so, are the ones when he's um, with Belit, his um, pirate queen. So yeah. I was, it was nice to see her again here. Yeah, good stuff overall. Next up. An Unkindness of Ravens, number four from Boom Studios, written by Dan Pinozzi and illustrated by Marina Mariana, excuse me, Ignazi. Uh, here we're finally kind of getting some answers about what's been going on with this book. Uh, there is a teen witch not named Sabrina who has come to a small town, uh, <laughs> finds some weird goings on. There seems to be two warring factions who are both gunning for her. And here, uh, a lot of the things that we've suspected since the first issue uh, come out. I like that they aren't wasting a lot of time on this mysteries in this book. And they're finally pulling the lid back on them, so to speak. Agree. I like, I though that I will say the beginning um, of the, of each issue has some good mystery building stuff where we're getting um, a totally different sort of art style and uh, some backstory stuff um, that I think is really cool. Um, Dan Panosian, who we had on the show um, the is Panoge. the writer of this book and he, the Panoge, as he um, has as never everybody been, calls him, as yes. he's never been called in his life, uh, <laughs> um, he uh, illustrates the beginning uh, of each book, which I think is very cool. And then um, the main story, yeah, I it's it's really good. Um, it's the art style, sort of in that Archie world, but telling a story that sits right alongside uh, Sabrina. If you're a fan of the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, yeah, I I agree. It's it's cool. It's like a uh, it's it's almost like making fun of the Archie style in the way where it's just like a little edgier. Um, also, I, I I think it works great. I I'm I'm impressed with this story. Also, you shouldn't take old timey pills in a paper cup and then drink. You know, like that's just a bad combo. Um, How old? What are the oldest pills you think are safe to take? <laughs> uh, are you talking about like uh, like when you say old timey? Do you mean like? Because uh, old the oldest pills were just little pebbles. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. It just yeah, OG pills. OG pills. Yeah. yeah, the original gangster of pills. 
Yeah, I just, uh, it looked like, you know, those old little paper cups that uh, you see, and he was just kind of tossing back some classic uh, red and white pills there. And, uh, yeah, I just, I like the, the art style is kind of like this uh, archy, but different, uh, but the facial expressions are really great, and especially in the main character. Um, I, I think this is this is fun and different and cool. Uh, I like it. Next up, Sea of Sorrows, number two from IDW, written by Rich Duick, art and color by Alex Cormack. We had All Rich right, yeah, on the show easy, just this very We had week. Rich on the show. Yes. Take, take it easy, guys. Yeah, yeah not too rough. Uh, this is a story about a bunch of treasure hunters who encounter, or maybe some deadly mermaids. This is great. This is terrifying. This is uh, the scariest issue I've read all week. Easily. Uh, yeah, the, the tone of this book is just so good. Um, the way they draw the depths of the water is scary. The way the art is from, it's, it's so much like, this is a very specific note, but it's like so much up and down, like vertical when they're underwater. Like when you read an issue of Aquaman or Namor, like it's sort of a scene like you'd see in an, any other book except underwater. With this, I could see these like very long angles of these people underwater and just add so much tension to it. All the characters are sort of greedy, uh, up to no good. Um, it's great. Yeah, this is dark on top of dark and then scary as fuck, man. This is like a crazy <laughs> book. And I it's it's intense to read because there is no hope. There's no chance. It's all going bad. And the ski the sea is a dark, dark place in this book. And uh, it's filled with things that are going to kill you. So this is uh this is intense and definitely worth picking up if you're into that type of shit man but get ready <laughs> have you guys ever been in water before yeah you guys ever like really? <laughs> oh man no i haven't tried it yet <laughs> well you it was funny because it. rich was talking about like you know like uh you know he's from new york city and he would go to the beach but like you know like there's a real big difference. The first time I went into the ocean, like off of a boat where there's no land mm-hmm. in sight, it's fucking scary as fuck. And uh, I think this book kind of does a good job of really kind of uh, grasping that. I panic when I get into the deep end of pools because I imagine there's a shark under me if oh, I can't man. feel the bottom. So, wow. Yeah, I'm ready to go to the ocean. No. Let's do this. No, man, you will. Do you not- really? You really don't like the ocean? Uh, no, I, I really like, I get an overactive imagination when the water is too deep and I can't see the bottom. Mm-hmm. We used to go snorkeling when I was a kid quite a bit. And if we were on the low part, we were kind of, you know, swimming up to a reef or something like that. All good. But once we got past that, where I couldn't touch the bottom with my feet, it really became like, okay, something's going to bite me. Yeah. Something's going to eat me. Yeah. What's coming? What's going to happen? Oh God. And I would just get this spiraling panic. Until I got back to the shore. I can't wait for our Caribbean, our triple Caribbean (laughs) vacation. We're going to have a blast. No no way, man. Good times. Uh, Let's talk about The Last God, number 11 from DC Comics, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Ricardo Frederici, another guest that we had on the show this week. We had Philip talking about this issue. This is the second to last issue of the first series in the Fellspire Chronicles Yes, Pete, you have a question or a statement? I just, I have something I wanted to point out. Usually you do such a great job with your transitions, but I just feel like you really missed an opportunity from going from Sea of Star Wars to Sea of Stars here. And I just wanted to point that out real quick. You know what? I purposely separated them because I kept confusing them. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, so there you sense. go. You are absolutely correct. Later in the podcast, we're going to be talking about Sea of Stars number eight, uh, but I kept them separate because I thought it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so let's talk about The Last God instead. This is a big, dark issue where things go Holy down. I don't shit. think they're going to get out of this one, those plucky kids. It doesn't look great. Um, I mean, we... Every time we talk about this book, it's all about there's just so much depth here of the the, the fantasy, the mythology. Uh, it's so well thought out. Um, the art is amazing. It has – it feels like the – every page feels like the cover of a fantasy novel in the best way. Um, and it does feel like a, a new take. It's like a ruined fellowship, as um, Philip said on the podcast. Um, and to get to uh, be in that with them – and still have it. It's not so stiff as um, you might. It might come across. It's not like these people are just like we must continue. Uh, like sometimes the sort of the Tolkien characters come across. Like they're still joking around. They're still like being real people, and it's great to see. I gotta tell you, yeah, like hearing PKJ get like worked up about this and like how in, into it he gets with like. Just seeing the back matter and the songs and stuff like in this issue really lets you know like how deep this rabbit hole goes. Like you think you have an imagination of like what you want to have happen. He has it worked out like tenfold and it's really impressive. Uh, The art is just phenomenal. Each issue kind of takes you to this kind of creepy magic place. Um, Yeah, this was a fantastic issue. Great ending. I really can't wait to see how this is all going to kind of go down. Um, yeah, man, the battle stuff is just glorious. Next one to talk about the Department of Truth, number four from Image Comics, written by James Tyner the Fourth, art by Martin Simmons. Um, now, earlier I said that Sea of Sorrows was the scariest thing that we read all week. I think I lied. I think this actually was. This book is incredible, and this issue in particular is so expert at getting under your skin and making you feel uncomfortable. The writing is phenomenal. The art is phenomenal. If you haven't been reading this, this is about a organization, a part of the U.S. government, maybe devoted to not debunking conspiracy theories, but stopping conspiracy theories before they could become true based on everybody's belief. Here, we get the belief that the characters of the organization are having uh, challenged on their own as we find out more about Black Hat, the organization that's fighting against it. And the stuff that they lay out here is so upsetting to read (laughs) in exactly the right way. A fantastic book. But as I said, very scary and very uncomfortable to well, read uh, at the same time. I want to hear Justin's take because he was saying this is his uh, pick of the week. So I'm excited to hear what he's going to say. Yeah, I love this book. Like, I'm a big news junkie. And this book, um, it's like, oh, this makes me feel so much better to have someone sort of digesting these things and t- making it make sense in a fictional context. But it actually is quite stressful to feel, to really feel these uh, these beliefs that real people in our world believe. Um, and have it, the premise of the book, um, is that if enough people believe in a very simple idea that is false, it still manifests in the real world. And I think that is such a smart premise and scary and feels real to us. Like the book does this just great sort of loop de loop uh, mentally for us as the reader, because the premise is about, uh, lies becoming real. But yeah. that's also happened in our world. Yeah. And it's just it's such a smart book. 
that whole thing about like uh, Barack, like just blew my mind. I, I and you believe it now, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just one of those things where like they in this book were able to pull off kind of like a trope that we've seen in a lot of horror movies and, and spoiler, but like the whole, like they're in the next room. I was like, Oh shit. But like, that's such a thing that I should have seen coming. It's just, oh man, it's intense. It's uses real life shit that makes it scarier. I, yeah, the art's phenomenal. This is a crazy read and it's really impressive. Two things that I wanted to mention about this book in particular. One, a couple of issues back, they introduced these, uh, issue two, actually, I think. They introduced the Starface Man, who are our main character that we're following, who is new to the Department of Truth, was maybe or maybe not tortured by this being years back, wants to track him down, wants to stop him. And it uses a lot of anti-Semitic tropes. And as a Jewish man myself, I was very uncomfortable about it. Reading this issue... The targets conspiracy theories around birtherism and Barack Obama yeah. made me realize in retrospect that, oh, yes, of course, they are trying to make me feel uncomfortable with this plot line. They are trying to yes. make me feel this is upsetting. And uh, so to elicit that reaction, I think, is the right thing. The other thing that I wanted to mention is the end of the book. And this is a big spoiler. But uh, by the end of the issue, our main character is told, OK, this Washington Post reporter and uh, presumably his editor, you got to kill them. You got to just yeah. shut this down, because even if they say they're not going to follow this up, at some point they're going to mention it and it's going to take on a life of their own. And the Washington Post reporter, I believe, says something to the effect of, hey, you're one of the good guys, right? And while he's crying, he says, I think so, and shoots them. And that, in essence, kind of defines and redefines the entire series because we realize, oh, okay, we have a predilection to think the people we're following are the heroes. Maybe they're not. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we're. I had that same feeling of dread uh, reading this about just like controlling the truth is a slippery slope to be on. Um, so that's a great tension for this book. One other thing I want to mention: there's an ad on the back of this book for the new anthology series from W. Maxwell Prince, uh, the writer of Ice Cream Man, called Ha Ha. Yeah, coming out in January. Very excited for that. Me too. I don't know if I'm ready for that. Uh, neither am I. I feel like uh, my wife, who is a clown, is going to be hypercritical of it. We'll see what happens. Maybe we'll have her on the show. Next yeah. up, the comic yeah. book history of animation number two from IDW, written by Fred Van Lenti and Arts and Letters by Ryan Dunlavey. Uh, just a little note, we're going to have him on the show, I believe, next month or maybe February. Fred? Uh, to chat about this book, so that should be a lot of fun. Um, this book is great. I know we so talked good. about this the last time, but here we're finally getting to the point where Disney is ascendant, and Walt Disney at least in this world and probably in ours as well, is a sociopath. Yes. Yeah, it's super, uh, it's super crazy to read this. You know that Fred Van Lenti just did all this off the top of his off the top of his dome. Like this guy knows so much about animation. He made it all up, right? It, he made yeah. up all this shit. No, no, he just knows he it because he lived did. it, man. He lived oh, man. it all. That's crazy. Uh, he lived it. Um, I I love the little facts you learn. Um, every yeah. time you read any books that these guys do together. And this is so interesting. Like, just one from the beginning um, here, uh, Marjorie Sullivan, um, the, I think, wife of the creator of Felix the Cat, 
uh, notable drinker fell out of her window and died um, trying to hail her chauffeur while she was drunk. Uh, and like just those little details, these like little stories that are just so interesting. Um, and then the way they incorporate imagery from the actual um, cartoons and uh, animated projects they're talking about is is really cool. And it's also funny, you know, it could just be a rote history lesson or feel like reading Wikipedia, but they make it engaging. They make it fun, as they have done with every comic they've done across the board. Um, This is great. I'm very excited to keep reading this book and see how they get up to modern history. It's really fascinating so far. Next one, Doctor Doom, number 10 from Marvel, written by Christopher Cantwell, art by Salvador LaRocca. This is the last issue of this title. I believe the last one we read was the first issue of this title. Yeah. Figured it was worth checking in. Um, Part of the criticism I believe we had of the first issue was it seemed a little light and fun for a Dr. Doom book. This issue was not light and fun. I mean, fun, but definitely very dark in exactly the right way. Uh, I thought this was a great ending for the series. How did you guys think? I agree. Like the first issue, I think was called Pottersville. Last issue called Bedford Falls. I think is a uh, those, those are two references to It's a Wonderful Life, uh, my favorite movie at the holidays. So I, I really this felt very timely, and it's just a great character study of Doctor Doom that we get to see played out here, cementing him as a straight up villain. He gets played a lot in Fantastic Four as. Uh, sort of a little bit of a softy. He's yeah. like has a connection with Valeria, uh, thanks to Hickman's run. Um, but I think this is the best Doctor Doom. He's a petty, p- very powerful supervillain, and we get to see that on display. Yeah, this it, just to me, like the way it ended was great. You know, when it started, I was like, "What are we doing here? I, I don't want a different Doom." But just the the way he's like never was. Never will be good. Like, that was just so badass. Such a great Doom kind of, like, ending. So uh, I was really impressed with how how this ended. You were like, here comes the Doom. Yeah. Here comes the Doom. Well, from Sea of Sorrows to Sea of Stars, number eight from Image Comics, written by Jason Aaron and Dennis Hallam, art by Stephen Green. Uh, So we had Dennis Hallam on the show, live show, a couple of weeks ago, and I thought it was really fascinating, frankly, reading this now, knowing that, uh, unless I got it wrong, it's Dennis writes uh, the dad stuff and Jason Aaron writes the kid stuff, and knowing they kind of right on their own tracks. It definitely redefined how I read this book. Um, But still, another good, weird issue of the story of a dad and his son trying to find each other in the universe. Yeah, I mean, uh, it really, knowing that about the book, it definitely changes how you read it. This book reminds me so much of sort of last season, late episodes of Adventure Time. Um, where it's like a little bit trippier. It's a little bit um, like you don't quite know uh, what where the deeper underpinnings are blending with the fun mythology stuff. And uh, I love that. So I love this. Yeah, this continues to be just kind of like a, I'm worried about the kid, you know, and if they're going to find each other. But I'm also having such a great time with the amazing stuff that is happening. And to see that the dad uh, kind of get to have some fun in this issue was great. Before he was just kind of like uh, just scared shitless for his son and kind of panicking. This was I think I feel like a cool kind of like turn where now both characters are kind of like 
looking for each other, but they're all both also kind of having fun out here in the sea of stars. Next up, Transformers, Back to the Future, number two from IDW, written by Ken and Scott, art by Juan Sabu. Uh, I got to tell you, I was fine with the first issue of this book. I thought it was fun, but okay. Uh, we get a, of course, time travel story where the Decepticons take over the past of Hill Valley, turn it into a despotic future. Of course. Marty McFly is left there. Uh, but the reveal at the end that the DeLorean is a Transformer was like, great, now we're into it. This issue paid off of that promise. It was a blast to read. Super dumb and silly and fun in exactly the right way. It, uh, I, 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 like I said, I had a blast reading this. I had a lot of fun. Pete, I'm sure you were a fan as well. Yeah, this is just a, a ton of just kind of like mashup fun. You know, like uh, what what's better than DeLorean being a Transformer? Spoiler, also the goddamn skateboard's a Transformer. Yes. Everything. Oh, you're not a fan of you're not a fan of Skills, the <laughs> Transformer who's also a skateboard. <laughs> but this makes me think like can any wheeled object be a Transformer? Yeah. Yeah. Like well, also I got to say like he, the the ending was also a lot of fun. Uh, Doc Brown looking like he's got the Mando gun going on. And I tell you what, I don't know what future those ties are, but I can't wait to get there because that's a fun looking tie. And I'm hoping to rock one one day. Mm, Yeah. Sort of the uh, bandolier tie. Yeah, man. Um, Here's what I want to pitch, um, given what I just said, sort of an Amish wagon Transformer series, <laughs> where nice. it's all okay. like all wooden, the there's like churner. a wheelbarrow, there's a churner. My there's... name is Rumspringer. <laughs> I'm <laughs> yeah. an Autobot. Rumspringer! Yes, more that meets the eye. Uh, yeah, this is this is a blast to read. It's very silly, but it's very fun in the right way. Next up, Action Comics number one thousand and twenty-eight from DC Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by John Romita Jr. This is the last issue of Brian Michael Bendis's run on the title. Let's wrap it. Everything's up with the Super Family before we move on with Philip Kennedy Johnson, who again we had on the live show talking about his wow, new run. Look so at go us check that out. Go key guess. We're topical. Man. Uh, but what what do you think about this issue? What do you think about Brian Michael Bendis's run on the Super Family as a whole? I thought you were going to be like, what do you think of this Brian Michael Bendis guy? Uh, <laughs> do you think I, he's going to do well? I thought this was very sweet issue. Cool ending. Love the thank you notes by the desk. Cubicle. Amazing art. Touching story. I thought this was a great Superman comic. I mean, this is Bendis doing what he does best, and Bendis writes great sum-up issues um, for his runs, where he... Because his whole thing is, like, really bringing characters down to earth, having them, uh, having a take and really connecting with the other characters in their universe. And that's what this is all about. We get to uh, see the stuff from the Jimmy Olsen series, where he has um, uh, purchased the Daily Planet. Um, Perry's uh, very fun. Um we don't get a ton of time with actual Superman stuff happening here, which yeah. I thought was interesting. Um, but uh, I love the family stuff. That's what I really liked about the run before Bendis took over. So I'm glad we're sort of landing there because um, I hope that will play a lot in going forward. And honestly, I don't feel as burnt by the uh, Superman and Clark Kent um, revealing themselves to the world as I did um, initially. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair estimation of it. And overall, this is a good, fun issue. It doesn't feel particularly essential, necessarily. It's been weird reading uh, these sum-up issues before they move on to Future State, uh, where it's like, well, 
see you later is yeah. kind of what they feel like. Um, but John Romita Jr. art, it's good. He's drawing a good Superman. Uh, it's a nice time. Yeah. Next up, The Scumbag, number three from Image Comics, written by Rick Remender, art by Eric Powell. Uh, this is continuing the story of the worst guy on Earth who can save the Earth. Uh, here, I think we kind of complete the first arc and move into the second arc, or at least the second villain for our dirtbag hero. Uh, naturally, he saves the world, but does some terrible things in the process. Um, uh, this book continues to be like very timely in an interesting way and funny at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's it's a classic Remender book where it's like um, it's like a, a strong good premise for a story it's very funny but there's like there's always some stuff underneath it's really like commenting on our world um in a way that is really nice uh pete give me your take on this uh 1978 firebird transam oh come uh, on man i mean i was a little uh, disappointed with the sex doll edition but that is like baby now that's a transformer right yeah I, it should be <laughs> Um, I do like uh, I do like the last page that sets up our next villain. As you said, Alex, the um, sort of acolyte-looking people, hundreds of them on um, laptops typing on the bright side of the moon um, with a mysterious villain watching over them is a great setup. I I also like how it's like you know there's this line with the scumbag. You know what I mean? Like okay, the scumbag gets to be a scumbag at different moments, but it's also like. Hey man, you can't be a piece of shit and have superpowers. That's not how it works, you know. And that really kind of comes back. Oh to- wait, Pete. Actually, have you ever met villains? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever met any super villains? No, I haven't, because I'd probably be dead if I did. But thank you for. No, asking. I mean, have you ever read about them? Because um, those people are mostly assholes who have superpowers. Oh, okay. Interesting take. But and I'll also mention uh, <laughs> Eric Powell's art, which is like what if Mad Magazine, but super fucked up. Yeah, which is fun to read. It's, it's just a fun book across the board. Uh, let's move to a slightly more serious one: Scare and Hood, number three from IDW, story and art by Nick Roche, color by Chris O'Halloran. Uh, in this book, we've been following a father and his friends as they deal with some weird going on in their town around the school that their kids go to. Here, a lot comes out yeah. about our main character that yes. makes him, I think, in a really interesting way, less palatable, as well as we get the lid blowed off when it comes to the supernatural storyline. This is definitely a big issue. Justin, you've been really liking this book in particular, I think. Yeah, I like this book a lot because of those swerves that it keeps taking. Like, uh, it's interesting. We've spent the first uh, two issues really in the head of our main character. And then you the perspective to- totally flips. I love being inside people's heads. Mm-hmm. Um, except for the year that I was trapped inside Pete's head, being John Malkovich style. <laughs> was a weird Yeah, ride. you almost didn't make it out, man. That's true. Yeah. But, boy, I learned a lot about your, like, schedule, what you do on your private time. Um <laughs> Check out the upcoming memoir. Uh, um, yeah, I think, you know, this is definitely what it's like to be a parent. If I did it, the Pete LePage story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you've uh, got your responsibilities to your kid, and then you have a group of parents that you get together with, and you solve crimes and ghost stories and stuff like that. So I feel like it's nice to have a representation of what it's like to be a parent in this world. 
Uh, yeah, I agree. Let's move on to talk about U.S. Agent number two from Marvel, written by Priest, art by Giorgianti. Uh, this is continuing a story where a U.S. agent is dealing with a lot of things. Um, I'll tell you <laughs> what, I, I honestly had a little bit of trouble following this issue, even though I remember what happened to the last issue, which I think we all liked quite a bit. Um, but the Giorgianti art, still reliably very good. Yeah, I agree. It's it is. I don't quite know the full take of this story, but I do like it. Like I like um, the scenes. I like the issues we're touching on here, and I just like U.S. Agent as a character. Like, what if Captain America was uh, sort of a jerk, but really knew uh, had an inferiority complex, but knew the always did the right or was always trying to do the right thing. Um, so I, I like I like where this book is living. Uh, yeah, I I had a little bit of a hard time following what was happening, but it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, next up then, Undiscovered Country, number 11 from Image Comics, written by Scott Snyder and Charles Soule, art by Giuseppe Cabancoli and Leonardo Marcello Grassi. In this issue, we're starting to get into the, if not wrap up, at least the back half of the Unity storyline. Uh, we are in the second ring of a closed-off America that is all follow, uh, focused on tech, Turns out it's terrible. They're powered by baby brains. There is a basically dead woman living in a giant vagina who runs everything, and she wants our hero's brains to join them. Uh, they Here's something that I thought was fascinating about this issue, and this is definitely a spoiler for the issue, but I certainly realize this, and the characters realize in this book, they're given a challenge. They're said, uh, Aurora, who's the person who runs America, wants you to either choose a ring of America or keep moving to the next ring until you choose one. Right. And by the end of the book, they all realize, they say, hey, you know what I think we need to do is we need to see all of these rings and get to Aurora and then bring what we've learned. That's the challenge here. And that's certainly what I thought. I was like, I'm ahead of this book. I know what's going on here. But the fact that they said that out loud, that is 100% wrong, right? Yes. Uh, I think that was a classic uh, bait and switch uh, move that we get a little bit of a payoff right here. But also Um, uh, a weird plug for the first generation iPod in the middle of this. Still yeah. good, man. They I miss those around. click wheels. Those oh, click wheels are really man. good, man. Plus it's all crazy. the space they had for songs on those mm-hmm. things. You Come could on. listen to one whole U2 album on there. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the only thing. If I remember correctly, that's the only thing you can listen to on there. Um, yeah, I think this... Uh, I really like this arc especially. Like We talked about it before, but... Um, it really focuses up a lot of the ideas and you have more of a sense of the characters coming out of the first arc. Um, so it it really moves in a nice way. But and so many ideas. I, I think it's an interesting idea, um, you know, just like, oh, you just got to give up your second born. Not your first born to be a f- f- floating brain. Just your second born. You know what I mean? No one really I cares. I think I could do that. Yeah. Justin? Yeah. Uh, wait a second. Are you a firstborn or a secondborn? Because I think, P, aren't you? I'm a firstborn. I'm a firstborn. P, aren't you this younger nope. brother? Uh, nope. I'm a firstborn as well. Oh, great. Uh-huh. This is all working out so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, book is really good. Definitely pick it up. Next up and it, last up, something. Oh, yes. What's I, I did want to say, though, that it's every time I think I have a handle on what's going on, they're like, nope. Not even close, uh, which is <laughs> not really frustrating, but impressive that I could still be confused after this long. Uh, but 
uh, man, the art and the paneling and it's just really Im- impressive. Okay, yep. sorry. No, it's all right. Last but not least, Something is Killing the Children, number 13 from Boom Studios, written by James Tyne in the fourth art by Werther Dildaria. We're finally getting an event that's been promised pretty much since the first issue, uh, where our main character's compatriots come to town and start killing everybody. She wants to shut down the monsters that are killing the children as quickly mm-hmm. as possible. Um, every issue, I know I say this every issue, but so little happens, but it's of such import to the characters, it still feels meaty at the same time. And Werther Deltarius' art is phenomenal. Um, another great issue of this book. I, every single issue of this is just so great. And the art is just, at, there's at least one or two plan, panels where you're like, fuck, man, I would love to have that. It's like a desktop background or a poster or something. It's just glorious. Uh, yeah, yeah, that would be so cool to have it as a desktop background. <laughs> Yeah, because you get to stare uh, at it every day, you fucking dick. I'd well, love I have to a have laptop. It. I don't want to brag or anything. Yeah, Mr. Desktop over here. I would love to have it just as printed on my sheets. Oh, just go to nice. Sleep yeah, and, uh, yeah, go to sleep. I'd love to have it on my van. Yeah, the inside or the outside or both? Uh, inside. I don't want other people to see. It. It's for <laughs> nice. me. That's for you. That's for daddy. Um, yeah, I like this book a lot. I will say... The pace of this book has gotten – it's pretty – not a ton of story happens each issue, and I'm curious if that will change um, because uh, I, I think it needs to make a, some larger moves. So maybe you're it, saying this widely po- uh, popular book that is really impressive, they should just change it? I, I just think like uh, – I think it could pace up a little bit. I feel like we've been in this narrative moment for quite some time. Yeah, but if you're reading the tr- uh, trade, then you're fu- fucking fine. They don't have to change anything. Don't don't tell me what to do. Well, don't tell it what to do. Enjoy it for what well, it is. I'll tell you what. I'm going to tell those of you listening what to do. If you'd like to support us, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comics. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show. At Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we've been Comic Book Club. Peace out. When I lived in your head, Pete, I told you what to do all the time.